Hello, we're going to get started. So my name is Lauren Bagel. I'm with Gunlock and All Steel, and I'm the vice president of the Chicago chapter of Cornet. Um, thank you all for being here. Um, we say this every time, but we mean it genuinely. Thank you to all of our sponsors of the chapter, from platinum to gold to silver to end user and to premier end user. Um, we couldn't do what we do without you, and that is really said with heartfelt, as a heartfelt um, comment. Um, the sponsorship drive is still available. The sponsorship drive is still um, open. So if your company has not signed up and you're interested in sponsorship, talk to Beth Brower um, or Gordon Hill if, he's, if you find him amongst the crowd to sign yourself up. Um, additionally, membership. We're um, hoping all of you are members. If your tag is yellow, it means you're not a member. We are singling you out, but it's only because <laughs> it, is, it is because we want you to join. Um, we are a about a 500 member um, chapter here in Chicago, which puts us in the mega chapter category. Um, so we're one of the largest and strongest um, chapters of Cornet, especially in our opinion. Um, I, so membership is ongoing. Please renew if you haven't already. And again, if you have any questions, find anyone here um, on the board or anyone who is a member who can help you. Um, if we have any new members, raise your hand just to do a quick nod. Anyone a new member? Just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just there you go. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so and thank you to, to 150 North Riverside for hosting us here, um, and a big thank you to our speakers who are going to be joining us up here shortly. Um, our next event is Thursday, March 12th at 625 West Adams, so constantly changing things up, always look at where we're hosting our events, um, and it's our second annual Women in Business program. So I'm going to have Renee Bradshaw come up here from Kirkland and Ellis to talk about it. Thanks, Lauren. All right. Big plug for this fantastic panel. We're bringing to you another great panel next month. Um, and uh, women, uh, March is Women's History Month. So we are celebrating that, but we wanted to feel uh, like a diverse and welcome um, panel and event. So I want all of you men who are in the room today to make sure to come uh, next time. Uh, we are gonna have the president of HBF um, speak, Dan Chong. He is going to give a presentation that is um, anthropology-based about the evolutionary, evolutionary development of our brains and what that means to workplace and team development today. So that's going to be exciting. And he's going to be joined by Erin Murray Butler from William Blair. She's head of real estate. She is the first and only female non-revenue generating to person to be nominated to partnership at William Blair. And then we're also going to have Taya Cook, who is coming in from Toronto. Taya is Director of Capital Development at Urban Capital Partners, and she just put together their latest project, which is a multifamily development in Toronto, and she put together an all-female team, from lender to architect to engineer, so she's going to talk about that. You can read about her in the New York Times. This project was featured, so we're very excited to have her join us, so I hope that we see you all there. March 12th. Now, Rick Page. All right, thank you. So today I'm really excited to be talking about something that um, I had a chance to play in for a while early in my career. Um, my name is Rick Page, and I was just recently Senior Vice President at U.S. Bank. Before that, I was in brokerage and tenant rep and corporate services development, um, and I was with IBM for a dozen years before that. So don't add up all those potential years and apply it to how old I am. But along the way, I was able to be one of the first 
people to join the Regis uh, Business Center organization when they came to the United States and wanted to put some dots on the map, and I became their real estate guy, acquiring new centers. So I had a chance to kind of explore this industry very early on, but boy, has it changed. And that's what we want to talk about today. So we've got a great group of speakers here, and I'll just ask them to come up and grab a chair. So here's the speaker. So, so we've got representative from IWG, which is, among other things, a Regis uh, brand as well. Beth Moore from WeWork, Angela Angie from uh, HANA, which is part of CBRE, and Mallory uh, from Industrious, and Lindsay from Convene. We'll give them a chance to introduce themselves in a little while, but I thought what I'd do is just give you a, kind of a, a little bit of an introduction to kind of where we are, um, or maybe where we're going. So in preparing for this, a little bit of research about where we are um, and where we might be going, the prognosticators think that in 2022, There'll be 1.87 billion people working mobily. Now, that doesn't mean they're all in flexible office space, but working mobily. That's a lot of people. 42% um, of the global workforce. Wow. Wow. How many people in here are working mobily? All right. How many people here are in the flexible co-working business? Boy, I love it when we we attract we attract yeah, 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 all of them. we attract the different kind of crowd. All right, so seventy five percent for all you people are very happy to hear that they favor flexible working. Uh, Sixty nine percent of employees who uh, work say it encourages them to stay in the job longer. So engagement, employee retention, all that kind of thing. Fifty three percent of the workers value the flexibility to work from different locations. So if you're in flex and you've got an agreement with all these fine folks here. You can work from many of their locations um, as part of that, perhaps. How about the future? We heard this from Spencer Levy. If you were here on the 30th, we had the uh, economist from CB talk to us about the future of real estate in general. And one of his slides kind of blew me away, I think, because he said 30% of corporate real estate portfolios could be flexible very, very shortly. 30%. Think about the vastness of all of the corporate occupied space, just the United States, but worldwide, 30%. It's growing at 13%. It's down from about 24% in 2018. Uh, we'll talk about why that might be. 84% of corporates believe flexibility is a permanent feature of the workplace landscape. How many corporate real estate folks do we have in the audience? All right. We'll explore that, and you can challenge some of these assumptions as we go on. And 56% of Asia's top 200 occupiers are already using Flexspace. And almost all of them are considering it. So this is kind of the wave of the future. Right? So with that, one of the dynamics, I grabbed this chart just the other day because I thought it was kind of interesting. That if you look at transactions transacted under 10,000 square feet, which is kind of the sweet spot, if you will, for flexible office. Look what's happened in the number of transactions during kind of the explosion of the co-working phenomenon here in the last several years. Gone from 1,400 transactions to, as the economy is booming, to only 900. Now, the article I grabbed this from was attributing that to the flexible office space and the the lack of desire to sign long-term leases for smaller spaces that might be 
and we're at risk for a change. Um, so that brings us to our panel. Um, we'll leave this chart up as we go along, but let me just ask each of the members to introduce themselves. I'll start with you, Jeff, and uh, I will bring up your slide here so you can talk to it. Cool. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Jeff Bowron. I, uh, I'm the area vice president for uh, IWG here in uh, Chicago, as well as the Midwest. Uh, I've been with um, IWG. I, when I hired in, it was Regis uh, for about six years. And uh, during that time, have uh, you know really covered most of the Midwest and the central US. Uh, so I was thinking this morning, kind of back, I think I've been involved with whether acquisition centers or opening our own new locations, about 100 new openings over the last four years. So it's been a pretty interesting ride. And um, about a year and a half ago, uh, many of you know that uh, the, the Regis brand transitioned into IWG, uh, primarily because we started opening up our Spaces brand, which we now have 300 of those worldwide, uh, as well as Regis. And then that's continued to evolve into uh, a number of other brands. So just to kind of quickly go through, HQ is more of our sort of standard traditional locations. Uh, Regis is really the brand that most of you know us by. Uh, makes up the majority of our centers uh, in Chicago and in the U.S. Uh, Signature is a, is a new brand that, that's coming online, typically having to do with very prestigious locations. So if you were to think about Chicago, maybe that might be uh, the Merck, maybe it might be John Hancock, right, locations like that. And then number 18 is one I'm very excited about uh, because in March of next year, we will be opening at the new, lo new building at 110 North Wacker. Uh, we have the penthouse floor and then the floor below it, and that's going to be really kind of a very high-end business club-oriented brand, a lot of events, uh, a lot of, lot of focus on being able to, to have our memberships host events, members host events and do some different things. So excited to be here, part of this uh, today, and hopefully we can uh, answer some questions. Beth? Great. Hey, guys. I know a lot of you in the room, um, but I'll do a little bit of a back history. Uh, my name is Beth Moore. I work at WeWork. I've been there about a year, uh, and prior to that, I spent my entire career in commercial real estate, uh, the bulk of being at CBRE and JLL, advising corporate occupiers how to think differently around their real estate portfolio and their workplace uh, strategy. So thrilled to be at WeWork. It's been a year. It's been a journey, right? It's been so fun. Learned the most I could possibly learn in my career packed into one year. It's been fantastic. I run um, sales for the central and the west region um, of the U.S. And prior to that, um, I've already had two roles at WeWork. That's how we do things. Um, uh, started a group um, that worked primarily on improving the experience that brokers have working with us. We're super passionate about our broker partners um, and still believe that today. Thank you. Angie? I'm Angela Morris. I'm with HANA. I'm the head of financial operations. Um, my main role there is to really review the financial profitability of each of our individual locations. Um, I've been with HANA for about a year. Um, prior to that, I'm um, actually from the hospitality industry. Um, and just to talk a little bit about HANA, we, um, we have three very distinct product lines with HANA. Um, we have Team Meet Share. Team is focused on um, dedicated office space for small, medium, and large organizations. Um, we also offer um, Meet, which is on-demand meeting space um, for food and beverage and um, kind of hassle-free technology. And we also offer um, Share, which is the traditional 
co-office space. Um, so it's hourly, monthly memberships, um, probably what Fluxspace is, is typically familiar with. So um, that's a little bit about Hana. All right. Thanks, Mallory. Hi, everyone. I'm Mallory. Um, I work with Industrious. I've been there for about five years. Um, super proud. I was, I think, employee number seven at the company, um, which has been really exciting because I've been able, you know, when I started, um, we had one location total. Um, started in River North in Chicago, which I'm always really excited to share as well. It wasn't in New York. It was in Chicago. Um, and, <laughs> and, um, so I've been able to kind of watch us grow from this one location to hundred, um, domestically now, which has been really, really exciting and just seeing how the product offering has changed, um, which has been really great. I'm, um, enterprise business development manager. So I work with sales. Um, we have eight locations in Chicago, so I'm mostly focusing on larger teams, like 20 plus seats, um, throughout the city but also um, assist our community managers across across Chicago on, um, you know, configurations of all sizes, so. All right, thanks, Lindsay. Awesome, I'm uh, Lindsay Sukiyama. I'm the Regional Director of Operations for Convene Central Region. Just a quick show of hands, how many of you have been in one of our three locations in Chicago? Okay, so a good amount, that's great. I, so I don't have to tell you that we partner with Class A uh, landlords to both design and service premium spaces to both work and host meeting and events um, here in the city and in 32 locations globally. We open in London next year, which is really exciting. Um, uh, like Angela, I was born and raised in hospitality, started bartending, ended up having uh, over a decade of experience with hotels and came to convene last October to launch the Chicago market. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about and had an event last night and, and got to spend some time talking a little bit about the product differentiators. And the, the, the really core differentiator for Convene is our hospitality. Coming from hotels, uh, I've worked with a lot of different teams. I've never worked with a team like the 36 people we have in um, Chicago right now. Both in the hospitality and service offering from everything from, you know, getting you your first cup of coffee in the morning and or helping to craft your bespoke cocktail at the end of the day to getting you set up and settled in your flexible office space um, or helping you plan and produce a executive boardroom for 10 or a town hall for 750. Um, the team's really set up to help bring hospitality into the workplace and help create curated experiences. So for those of you that have been to one of our locations, we hope to see you again soon. And if you haven't been by, let me know and we'll make sure that you can get a tour and see the space. All right, thank you. You can see we've got the industry pretty well covered. Um, some folks walked in from ServeCorp. That's probably the only other major, major group that we don't have on the panel here. They're back there. So uh, we'll expect the uh, tough questions to come from them. <laughs> we also have some plants in the audience that are brokers in this particular industry. We'll expect some questions from them. So thank you for your questions. We'll have time at the end for that. But I'd just like to start, first of all, because there are some different kinds of philosophies as to this business that you guys bring, each of you a different perspective. When, when I started, it was called shared office, right? Now it's morphed into this term called co-working slash flexible office, whatever. What is the difference, if there is one, and could you kind of talk about the customers you're trying to attract or to different brands or different services, different customers? You want to start, Jeff? Sure. Um, so from our perspective, I mean, we, we think of it as what we provide is flexible office solutions. Coworking is a component of that. 
Uh, I think co-working has become sort of this ubiquitous word that everyone thinks of when they think of our industry. But really, if you look at the amount of folks that are using the industry for quote unquote co-working, it's a relatively small percentage. Um, you know, from our perspective, we see clients from, you know, one person who is, is looking to just find a place to work, uh, not at their house, uh, all the way up through, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And, and the, the most interesting thing I think I've seen over the past few years is when we used to work with your, your Fortune 500 type organizations, it would historically have been more of a short-term project or more of like a swing space where they needed space in between when their, their new building was going to be ready and they had to be out of their old location. But more and more, as, as companies are trying to build flexible office into their portfolio, we're seeing companies that are doing two or three year engagements with us. So um, we've got a very large company that I, we literally just did a renewal uh, for them and uh, they've been with us for two years in one of our locations, 19,000 square feet. Their world headquarters is based with us uh, and now we've just extended that for two years. So those type of opportunities did not exist you know, three or four years ago. Uh, and I think that's something that as companies are really trying to understand the economic landscape and maybe the, the scalability of whether they're the number of people that they have on their team, whether that's going up or down, uh, being able to have flexibility and, and work with folks in our industry uh, is something that more and more uh, decision makers are really wanting to be a part of. Yeah, are you yeah, I guess I'd say, I mean, I think since a lot of us are students of, of flexible space, we might use some of the same definitions. But I would say um, when we started 10 years ago, a lot of the pictures of typical co-working, dog in the room, maybe funky yellow couch, definitely beards. No offense, Dan. Uh, but, but catering more towards uh, individuals and entrepreneurs is really where we started. And we believed that the sum of many people coming together with a really tightly infused community would deliver them far more value than they could with whether they were working with a coffee shop or whether they were working from home. And what we found throughout the last 10 years was that Everyone wants this, this special sauce. Like everyone wants to feel connected. Everyone wants to come to a work workspace that they're inspired by, that has beautiful design, that has all of your services taken care of so you can focus on your best work. So I think that, that mindset of is it this or is it that, everyone wants to be a place where they're welcome, there's great light, there's great design. Um, and so the, the result in our business specifically um, has been um, an increase in acceleration of large companies. We call them enterprise companies of over 1,000 employees um, that are taking on more and more of their spaces at WeWork. Um, so we're now over 40% of our portfolio is large enterprise users. Some of our biggest deals with enterprise users are 225,000 square feet, 400,000 square feet. So these are very big long-term projects. But I think what we're bringing to the equation is the ability to have that thoughtful design, but also um, come in and be connected by one another, which I think is kind of ubiquitous throughout um, throughout the industry. So, so your customer base is everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think well, that, that plays true with a, with a lot of us. And I mean, tapping into what you said about enterprise clients, um, Everybody's evolving, and I think some of the graphs that you had up earlier, um, Hannah did a, a study as well that 70% of professionals, they want, to, they want to be able to work remotely. And so really understanding what um, each organization's needs are when they're really looking for top talent 
and having that flexibility, and certainly our spaces offer that for various organizations. All right. Really? Yeah. Your, I, your, your, your take on it? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think it's, I was, you know, focusing on the question that you sent around, you know, what's the difference between co-working and flexible office space? And mm -hmm. I stared at it for a long time because I'm like, I don't, I don't know if there is, like, a difference. I think it's all about how it's interpreted. Right. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the types of companies that I'm dealing with are coming from a more traditional background, and so they're not dropping the term co-working. They're more dropping the term flexible office space. And I think they do definitely go hand in hand, and it's just about like understanding what this customer already knows about it, mm -hmm. and you know, just kind of educating them on right. the differences. Lindsay, different perspective. You have, you have several different products, kind of within. Yeah. We do. Yeah, it's, right? it's it's a little different, and it's really interesting. I mean, to Beth's point, there's great intrigue across multifaceted types of of companies, people, organizations. Um, you know, unlike Mallory, we were started in New York, and we actually started as a meeting and events company ten years ago. So. As we've entered into the flexible office space um, with Workplace, our product offering that just came online about two years ago, we all use different definitions and it's really confusing. So your, our definition of enterprise is a little different from yours. Um, you know, we don't offer single suite or hot desking in a co-working fashion. Um, you know, our sweet spot is, is suites really from six to 60 um, for a little bit longer term than, than some of the competitors. I think there's, like in every industry where you have great segmentation and you have really strong brands, mm -hmm. it's about really understanding what your differentiators are and helping everybody else understand that so you get the right fit for your brand, which will long-term make your customers a lot happier. So there's loads of options out there, and with the exception mm -hmm. of Jeff, um, I feel like we all really have kind of a, a primary <laughs> offering that is matched best to a singular customer need over their evolution, where Jeff has a range of brands that kind of are tapping on, on multiple. Mm -hmm. um, but really, it's, it's our job to do the due diligence to help everyone understand who we are and what we're best for, um, and then get matched with the right people that need that. Right. Well, Lindsay was very nice to host us for a little, little get-together last night at one of her locations at 311. Yeah. And um, what we were what I was struck with is that the event space, I mean, you really are competing directly with the hotels, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and you have, you have full-time yeah. kitchen staff, a chef, everything on site, and yeah. that's a different kind of model, isn't it? I mean, it is. there are very few companies that would build a kitchen inside of their spaces uh, to serve their employees, and yet now we have this kind of capability. It's pretty different. So the competition's a little different for different parts of your business, too. And we were just talking, Jeff, about your number 18 is coming online at the Bank of America Tower. Um, you're going to be competing with the Union Lake Club, University Club, mm -hmm. right, in terms of the kind of club atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think the, the main difference will be, I mean, it, it will be primarily a, a facility that will offer flexible office solutions as well as memberships and co-working space, but certainly a higher level than, than what you would maybe find at a Regis location or even a Spaces location. Um, the, I think the difference would be we're going to have a full kitchen, a full bar, but it isn't something that's going to be, you know, sort of always available or always on, right? It's going to be more geared towards when our, you know, clients want to have events. Uh, it allows them the availability to use that space uh, to, you know, drive their business forward or you know, whatever it is that they're, that they're needing it for. So it's a little bit different, but I definitely there is going to be certainly more crossover. And, and our, we just opened one about six months ago in Atlanta. Um, and what we found is while the center has certainly, uh, it's right in Buckhead, it's a great location. It, it's done very well in terms of driving occupancy, 
But what has been surprising is how many uh, private events we've been able to host uh, for folks that are not even our clients. So I think the thought process originally was probably more 80% of the events and things that we host in that facility is going to be driven by our clientele. And it actually is sort of flipped and we're getting a ton of demand uh, in that marketplace. So it'll be interesting to see. So, um, so most of you have not been in the industry or in your current role or, or company for very long, but um, what do you see as the change in the way corporate America is looking at this to be over the last several years? Um, and how important is global presence in that dialogue with the corporate users? Um, I, I think probably it might be fair to say that the truly global players you know, are uh, IWG and WeWork and ServeCorp perhaps is, is kind of having multiple hundred locations and you know, international locations. So could you just kind of opine, if you will, on how you see that really changing over time and how important is the global footprint? I'll just start off by saying I think, um, and I'll just speak to corporate occupiers, corporate occupiers, enterprise users, however you'd like to classify the terminology. But I think um, as we progress, like in in this world that we're living in, where technology is accelerating, where there's a lot of uh, geopolitical decisions that are happening, um, it's it's really hard for corporate occupiers to have a crystal ball and know exactly what they're going to be like in 15 years. If any any corporate occupier says they know exactly what they are going to be like, they know exactly the um, see you guys are acting it out. I love it. <laughs> uh, they know their exact. They know how the business units are going to grow. The exact headcount. Um, what you've seen, and actually CBRE has a has a, a consulting practice that have, that has done studies after studies of what was predicted versus what has actually happened. And I think most corporate occupiers are realizing that um, they, it's harder to predict the future. And so hedging their real estate bets around some flexibility, it could be they're going into a new market, they wanna test it out, they don't wanna um, commit to a long-term lease, they could be incubating a new business, a new idea, they could wanna open a location um, in Mexico City and not want to have to deal with how, who to hire, what broker to hire, what project manager to hire. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the divergence of the amount of brands, and, and last I tallied, I think there's over 400 brands in the United States alone. Um, it has opened up a whole new world where, where corporate enterprise users, small businesses can focus more on their business and less about the rigmarole that comes in with, with acquiring space. So I think, I don't know if it's 20% or if it's 30%, but I think everyone's realizing a need that some business units, some functions um, are going to require a more flexible term than a 15 or 10 year commitment. Anybody else? We're um, only in the U.S. right now, um, but I will say, you know, when I started doing the co-working sales five years ago, it was very, I mean, we had Chicago and then we had Midtown Atlanta, and, you know, I was like, we have multiple locations, and they're like, great, are you in New York? I'm like, no, you can go to Midtown if you, you know, but so, um, I mean, now that's obviously changed, but so it was for a very long time, it was, okay, great, I'm going to sign in Chicago, can I go to New York, can I go to L.A., can I go to New York, can I go to L.A., um, and you know, right now it's a ton of domestic stuff, but more and more and more, especially over the last five years, I've been shocked at how many people are asking how many, like if we have international locations. Um, you know, I just, I feel like, I'm like, no, we're not in Singapore, <laughs> like all these random places, but it's definitely, over the last five years, the requests for international office space, at least for, for me, has been climbing for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
I remember. Too, oh, uh, go ahead, Angie. I was just going to say, in addition to not only the um, the companies that are in the space, but also understanding landlords and what they want in their buildings, um, and understanding that relationship and what they're really looking for, um, and how transparent you are with with your operation in their buildings. And so I feel like as as you look at the global footprint, that's certainly something that I think all landlords are looking at on how they can really diversify their their building space. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of jump in on that, I mean, obviously the, the number one, I guess, advantage that, that IWG has is we're in 110 countries. And um, you've probably seen over the last couple of years, we've entered into a number of franchise agreements to develop even more in, in a number of places. And I think you're going to see that uh, expand because to, to your point, you know, navigating the landscape in uh, Japan in terms of opening up locations is different than what we do here in the U.S. And, and I think what we'd see a lot with our enterprise clients is that need to, to your point, um, sort of speed to market, right? And, and being able to quickly get a team on the ground and open up, whether it's a project or a new, a new group that they're trying to, to get going, um, we, can, we can sort of immediately get that up and running for them. And, and one of the best things I think, for, and I'm not really that engaged with our enterprise team, we have a whole sales group out of Dallas that runs that, but they do have the ability to see real-time inventory across 3,000 locations. So uh, it's, very, uh, it's a very nice tool to have when you're working with real estate decision makers and they're trying to quickly figure out what the best solution might be for a project to be able to say, okay, hey, this is the country you want to be in. This is how many people. This is what we have available today. This is what it looks like. So I, I think that's going to become more and more important. Uh, and, um, yeah, I think that's something that... Um, we'll all probably start to get more involved with. So, I, was, I, was, I was floored last night when you told me that you were challenged when you started with Regis to put 110 pins in the math in a year and a half, was it? Um, having, having to sit with people like Pete, who's in the back of the room with Convene, and get to a sneak peek into the, our real estate process and what that looks like, the amount of due diligence that's done to find the right partnership with the landlord, to get to the right location. Again, because we've got multiple product offerings to mm -hmm. consider. Um, I can't imagine having to move that fast. And I thought we moved fast, That's opening right. 10 or so a year. Um, but it is, I think we, we can all agree, it's a really nice compliment to your business model when landlords and enterprise clients are asking you as a company to go to foreign countries and to go to new places. Um, because there's a comfort level that the level of hospitality and experience that they want to provide for their people that they know will retain those people is something that they want to see in new places. They're trusting you with their most important asset. Um, so, you know, as all of our footprints go, grow, um, hopefully we, uh, we can just keep differentiating and keep providing those very specific services. Ryan, can I add one last quick point? So, no. you know, I think <laughs> the, the international piece is super interesting, right? But I think, you know, one of the things, and, and we all have huge opportunity, even within the U.S., because if you think about, um, you know, where most of the locations that we all represent are, are markets like Chicago or Detroit or, you know, Milwaukee. Um, the real opportunity within the U.S. is, is sort of that last mile concept, right? So um, Green Bay, Wisconsin or um, Traverse City, Michigan or, you know, various, various small markets where there is a demand uh, and there are small competitors there today, but most of us haven't done a great job of building that into our network because it's, it's much more difficult. 
uh, to sort of navigate how to open up an 8,000 square foot location in, so let's say, Traverse City, Michigan, and make it a profitable adventure. So, you know, the ability to figure that out, and I think a lot of that's going to be through franchise agreements, a lot of that's going to be through maybe some different models, but um, I think that's the piece where internationally it's great, but whoever figures that out first is going to have a huge advantage uh, in the United States because it's not just about whether I want to open up a, a location in Ireland, right? right? It's I need to have five people in Traverse City, Michigan. How the heck am I going to do that? And so to be able to tie that into your brand and into your network is, is huge, in my opinion. Right. Well, it's kind of a crazy. So back in 2000, we had like 400 centers at Regis and three in the United States. Uh, and we put a lot on the map fast. You know, 3,500 around the world now, something like that? Yeah, 3,400 right now. 3,400. That's like, blows my mind. But anyway. Um, One a day. So I get this often. Um, Sometimes for my users at U.S. Bank, for example, um, Plex is too expensive. $100 a square foot to put my people, you know, you just told me you got me a special deal in Chicago for $20 a square foot. Why do you want me to do this now? What do you say? Plex building has premium. Yeah. Right? So I, I would look at it as um, there's a unique need. When we, when we find up, if we're going against, and by the way, we do a lot of proposals for 10-year deals, 5-year deals, you know, if they're, if we don't have a strong value proposition and there's something that the customer isn't intrinsically going to be getting at us versus a direct space, quite frankly, doesn't make sense, right? So I think what, what we've done, at, especially over the last five months, has been refining our core business and our strategy in key markets that play in well to what customers are looking for and the value proposition is there, right? So if you're intrinsically in a tight market with a lot of tech companies, makes a ton of sense because they're, that flexibility premium, the crystal ball, as my friends up front show, uh, clearly showed, um, is, is, is worth it for them to have that flexibility premium. But what they're getting on the other side it, within our costs is they don't have to think about hiring um, someone in front of house. They don't have to be thinking about all the operations of the, of the place. They don't have to think about putting their own capital into the space, which is quite costly. So when you do what we often find, and I've seen a lot of side-by-side -side comparisons, is um, our all-in costs are being compared to base rent, and that's certainly not an apples-apples comparison. The more that you understand all the costs that go into a fully serviced um, experience, the less shocking it is. But I think it's a lot of education on how to compare those. Absolutely, yeah. These refer to it as a total cost of occupancy. Sure. Right. right. So back a long time ago, I was teaching a class at, in the Cornette series. It's called Strategic Planning and Real Estate. The first chart I had was Strategic Planning and Real Estate and Oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't go hand in hand. I mean, it, it, any one of my clients when I was in corporate services and as a corporate real estate guy, I think we got maybe 50% of the lease terms correct. And when you're leaving early, you're trying to sublease the space and taking 50% um, back in sublease against some larger number for a lot more years, um, you add that into the total cost of occupancy on a portfolio basis, it's huge, right? I mean, that's kind of a big piece of that flexibility. It has a premium, but it's really the other side of that. It has an opportunity. Um, the sales team asked me to, to join them on a call, and we called on one of the companies representing the room here, and I said, Everybody, every office you have that's 10 people and under ought to be in this. And oh, by the way, here's the map, right? You go pick it anywhere in the world. And that was a, 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 a no-brainer. 
right? It's a no-brainer. But 90,000 square feet, 110 people, now we're a whole different scale here, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly when you get to that level, you, you have to tie in a number of things. And, and well, CBRE actually on their website has a phenomenal real estate calculator that we use quite a bit. So when, when that comes up with clients, um, you know, it, it's, it's because, you know, I can say, yeah, it's going to be more expensive to go out and get your own furniture and build your own infrastructure and hire your own person to run the building and hire your own person to answer the phones and do all those things. But at the end of the day, they know who's paying me, right? So that may not be viewed as impartial. But um, there's some really good tools out there. And it is shocking, I think, for a lot of, of companies, especially kind of small to mid-sized companies, when they really dig into the cost associated with that, whether it's furniture and, and how much furniture costs, you know, whether it's the infrastructure piece. And, and not only that, but it's, it's the difference between, okay, um, and I came from sort of an outsourcing background in print uh, in my earlier career. And it's, it's a matter of, who do you want to have the, this headache or do you want to push that headache over to us uh, or to anyone in this room, right? So I think more and more companies understand it's not just about that base rent, right? And, and there's some really good tools out there that, that can help them. Uh, and it's, so it's not always just you know, us saying, hey, it's great, you should come work with us. But it's, it's becoming, I think, more and more accepted that it's got to be a pretty big space and it's got to be a pretty long term before it makes sense to really mm -hmm. jump in with two feet. Can I just Please? underscore, that's why there's the importance of having a real estate advisor or broker mm -hmm. to help navigate Absolutely. this. Mm -hmm. Even more importance. And we work with um, all the brokerage firms. There's a lot of flex advisory practices. Basically, all of the large firms now have a flex advisory practice mm -hmm. to help their clients navigate all of the different options and figure out what's going to be right for them based on a financial solution as well as a quantitative and qualitative solution. So we're pro big time working with uh, working with brokerage firms and flex, uh, flex providers because there are so many dynamics. If this is your first time into it, they're going to be better suited to advise you. And brokers know their clients. I mean, this right. is just another tool in their toolbox. I mean, you, it's just another product offering. So you all know, brokers know their clients the best, and so we definitely value that relationship. So, so brokers are uh, vital. Um, brokers in the room are all saying yes. Um, what about the listing services? So there are Liquid Space and um, some of the others. Coast, I was talking to my relationship manager, CoStar. He says, yeah, it's in there. Just click that box there. Um, how important is that going to be, and is that comprehensive enough yet? I mean, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to touch on, like, the relationship part of it, yeah. I think, is super important. I mean, we use, um, I mean, we use instant offices and um, a number of the ones that you just mentioned. But I think, you know, and when those come in, I'm emailing with these people multiple times a month, and it's great. But it's, um, it, it's harder because I'll be talking to someone in Texas, and I don't have the opportunity to go get coffee with them. And so I value the relationships that I've built with, you know, different brokers all over Chicago for the last five years. Um, you know, when I get a broker calling me, asking me about, you know, availability for a specific requirement they have, and it's someone that I've worked with for so long, it's like, okay, yes, great. I don't have to, like, go into the education about, like, you know, they already know the product. Um, and so I think, like, the online services are great. We, you know, we have someone in our New York team that can just, like, blast them all over the country. And it's, it's great because they get full visibility. But it is newer, for me at least, and um, it's it's. It's personally, I just, I put so much value in, like, the personal connections I have with people in Chicago. 
Yeah, that's an excellent point. And that's really what I was going to say, too. I mean, I think that these aggregators are definitely demand generators mm -hmm. for our industry, but um, I think it just lacks that that hospitality touch yeah. that you were talking about, too, in that relationship, and really trying to customize the needs of the occupiers and really understanding what they want for their for their space and for their employees. And I think that that's where the difference is, is that we can actually give that that differentiator with the with the hospitality. Mm -hmm. Let me just um, quickly shift it a little bit. So I want to talk about growth and where that might come from. But one of the stats that I pulled was that um, so we have about 35,000 flexible workspaces globally with 5,200 operators. That's a lot. 5,200. So very important to have some kind of a service that would help you find, mm -hmm. you know, that perfect operator in Timbuk3, right? <coughs> um, 80% of the industry is still one-off mom and pops. Mm -hmm. Is there still a place for them? Are they going away? Um, what's, your, what's your thought about using them as part of growth strategy for your own firm? Do you know? Well, I guess I'll, I'll jump into that first. I mean, obviously, my organization has a long history of, of acquisitions, um, and that's been a big chunk of our growth. Uh, you know, I think where the, the smaller sort of mom-and-pop locations are really doing well is those, call it, 100,000 or less person markets. Um, and they're able to, to, to do a better job, I think, than, than you know, we are at this point in sort of navigating what that looks like. Um, and getting the cost model down and some of those things. So mm -hmm. I, I think you'll still see that um, continue to, to um, be a successful part of the model. I think where it's going to be more and more difficult is individual operators in markets like Chicago or Detroit or um, you know, New York. It's just the, the, the fact that there's not that level of sort of lead generation happening on a national level. The, um, you know, the aggregators aren't going to be as tied in with those smaller individual companies, and it's going to be tough. Uh, so I think that's, you know, you'll see it more and more in the smaller markets and continue to sort of stay there for a while. Um, but I think, you know, the days of very successful individual operators in large markets, it's going to be less and less over mm -hmm. the next few years. You okay. see it across every industry, right? I mean, you, yeah. you see it in hotels, you see it in senior living right now as another really fragmented, right. long-term stay, hospitality industry. We'll see it in our industry, mm -hmm. um, but totally agree. I, there's yeah. definitely a, a place and a space um, for smaller operators, but it will get harder and harder in major markets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, rolling them up is not easy either. I have personal experience with that, but you just told me about the story here in Chicago, right? Because yeah. their build-out's not the same, the technology's not the same, the people don't aren't trained the same way. Mm -hmm. So it's a little tougher to have that common look, touch, feel, you know, employee experience as you go to one of those in some far off cities. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so as we think about growth, um, it was just exploding. And the term co-working came on the scene and probably behind it more than anybody was WeWork. Here we go, Beth. Are we ready? <laughs> <laughs> so the elephant, the elephant in the room is, okay, what's happening to WeWork? And uh, so... So growth and absorption just went down like 75% last year, and almost all of it was attributable to WeWork's pullback. Um, can you tell us a little bit or tell people that maybe, you know, we're in Timbuk3 somewhere, didn't read the papers, what happened to WeWork on the way to, to an IPO and you know, what the impacts have been and new CEO, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, so again, super boring year, didn't learn anything. Um, <laughs> 
So I would say, um, you know, we started 10 years ago and we started in a, in our, our primary investors have been a very much hyper growth mindset, right? So our growth wasn't 3% year over year, it was 100% year over year. And just to give you a feel and a flavor, um, in 2017, we had about 200 locations. Um, we'll end this year at 1,000. Um, so that type of growth um, is, is pretty extraordinary. And that allowed us to dominate a lot of the markets that we're in, expand into over 700 uh, locations today, and those locations being holding like 1,000 people per people each. But we got distracted, right? So we were investing in a lot of um, side businesses, side companies, a lot of technology. I think there was a little bit of confusion whether we were a technology company or a real estate company. We were a real estate company, but with a tech valuation. And I think that overinflated, just hit the market at, at the wrong time. Now we have listened to investors. We've done, we've done a lot since all of that has happened. And I will tell you, you can tell by the smile on my face, I couldn't be more excited as a real estate professional to be working at WeWork today. And here's why. One, we are focused on our core business. So we're not, we're not acquiring different lines, different services, different businesses. We're not acquiring different technology companies and trying to f uh, figure out how to integrate it. We have beautiful spaces curated with, techno with technology and community, and we want to accelerate that experience. So we're really focused on how do we better improve it. We've always been a company of innovation. So if we know we have great spaces and we want to improve it further, I think it's going to be uh, all goodness. We've changed up our leadership, okay? We've, as you guys have seen, we've had uh, Marcelo Clower. Actually, can you say it, Ashley? Thank you. He says it much better than I do. Uh, <laughs> uh, he stepped in to uh, basically took over the reins as executive vice chairman later this fall, um, a self-made billionaire um, who most recently um, have many titles. Uh, SoftBank COO was, uh, was prior um, CEO of Sprint and basically turned that around and basically got to work, figured out um, a five-year strategy founded in six core pillars that was not only going to improve um, and allow us to create, again, brilliantly executed um, uh, workplaces, but also a real edge towards profitability and the, and the, um, and the cadence in order to get there. And then, as you probably all saw, um, we, uh, we announced recently next week Sandeep starts uh, we couldn't be more thrilled. Again, I'm very thrilled of having a real estate veteran come into this industry. And we've done a lot of things. We've shifted our entire sales process. We're, we're much more um, oriented towards our assets itself. So um, it was a big learning. We've learned. We've gone from hyper growth into um, smart, sustainable growth with mature leadership. And that's all goodness signs. So people say, oh, WeWork's not growing anymore. Well, we have 700 locations today globally. And um, by 2021, we're going to have uh, a thousand. Um, and within the next couple of years, we'll have, um, we'll be cash flow positive, um, and we'll also have a million members. So we're we're really thrilled. We're going to continue to improve. We're still opening locations, but we want to make sure that we're very focused on the core markets that make a lot of sense. You won't see us in a lot of the. Um, uh, more uh, uh, tier three or tier four locations because from a, pro from a product market fit and a value proposition, it doesn't make sense for us. So we're focusing on our core business, what's working, and I couldn't be more excited and thrilled. Right. <laughs> Good. She just had to get that off her chest. Excuse her.
Yeah, no, that's great. So um, as we talk growth, um, each of you has a different and emerging strategy relative to how to grow, how to get some traction, maybe in smaller markets or, um, or within kind of a traditional. But the landlords, the property owners, We've been rather getting nervous about the expansion of flexible space within their buildings. Um, I mean, we, we saw WeWork in the news as the largest tenant in New York City, right? And getting, getting close to that here in Chicago. Um, you think about that, largest tenant in New York, that's a, that's a little bit of space. Um, so are we worried about that? I mean, certainly I've been to some real estate conferences where they were worried about a WeWork fail and what that would do to a major market like New York, would that be the trigger that sends everything you know, down, the, down the tubes? Um, clearly, strategy is getting in place and people are more comfortable, money got pumped into the company. We're fully funded. Yep, all good stuff, right? <laughs> all good stuff. But what about the property owners and the landlords? So um, Heinz, large landlord, lots of buildings here in town, has come out with their own product called Square, or Heinz Squared. Uh, Tishman Spire has Studio. Others will announce their own. Some of the brokerage firms do. Clearly, Hannah's on the panel here. Um, how big a, a part of the strategy is that? Um, where's franchising in this? Let's just go down the line and talk about the growth strategy and some of the non-traditional things. I know, for example, Heinz chose Convene and Industrious mm -hmm. to be their partners in development, right? So mm -hmm. maybe why don't we start at this end? We, it's, it feels a little different at Convene. And so I, you know, part, I would say the core of our strategy is partnering with landlords. And so we go into new markets because a landlord will ask us to come. Um, so I don't get the sense that they feel threatened by us, but we also offer, I mean, if our, our three primary product offerings are meeting and events, that's where we started, flexible office, which we got into just two years ago, and then building amenities. And so whether that's the coffee shop on the ground floor, your fitness center, um, a health studio, healthcare within the building, a bowling alley at 311 West Monroe, um, you know, we're, we're really there for the landlord to, we build our infrastructure through our leased space and then we're leveraging our team of people to expand those hospitality services to the rest of the building. Which when you go back to scope and is it my headache or your headache and do you wanna have it with you or have it with me? I mean, our scope of work is hospitality, so it's really easy for us to stretch in those directions, where as, a, as an asset manager or a landlord, they're not necessarily geared or trained or have the right SOPs to stretch in those directions. So we like the partnerships. That's what helps drive us, and it's what helps us get us better economic deals for our long-term leases so that we can stay profitable as a company. Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I think like 70% of the deals we did in 2019 were partnership agreements. And um, I would like I get calls from you know, I have these great relationships with these brokers, as I mentioned, and I get calls all the time like, oh, I want to talk to you about this building. And I'm like, I wish I had something to do with that. Um, but so I know that we're like constantly growing and we're always looking at our real estate team. Like, you know, you had mentioned I sat in on a meeting and I was like, I had no idea that what went into signing something like this. It's insane. But. I don't think that we're, you know, we're necessarily seen as a threat. I know that as we continue to grow, we're, we're, um, we're doing new things with landlords all the time. For example, um, our Playa District 
in California, we have partnered with EQ and where we have, you know, suites there and we have a co-working floor there, but we manage the entire district for all of the buildings for EQ. So we do tenant experience and, um, you know, so people that are renting in Playa District can either rent from industrious, you know, from the co-working or more traditional space from EQ. But regardless, industrious is going to provide them with, you know, the events and the programming. So, you know, right there, that's already bringing more um, attraction and, and, you know, more revenue to the landlord. Um, so I, I see more of that kind of happening, which is really exciting. The Playa thing has been a really, um, it was an experiment and it's, it's gone really, really well. So I see more of that down the line. I, I think too, um, you know, having a level of transparency with the landlords and, um, you know, having them be more of a partner with you and understanding exactly what's going on in the building is important too, which I think also circumvents any, any apprehension of having co-work in their building. Yeah. We work uh, doing the same thing or are you going to be continuing to buy whole buildings, do you think? We, we want to grow sustainably and smartly. So that's going to be where, again, we're going to continue to open buildings through the end of the year. We have a lot of leases right now, but we're exploring a variety of things, right? We're exploring more management agreements, franchise options, et cetera, in order to keep that up. I will say we do, uh, we do have really good relationships with landlords. And if you think about um, the value that any of us provide, um, you know, to a building, it hopefully keeps their tenants in their building longer by allowing them to have flexible options when their headcount um, spikes or they have project team needs, they might not necessarily have to move to a whole new building. So I think there are a lot of amenities that it can bring. Um, definitely, uh, I think landlords are always concerned where, where a heavy portion of their building is, but I think everything in moderation, we can all play very, very, uh, very well with landlords and offer something to their building to better position them. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think for us, um, you know, it'll depend on the market um, in terms of we've done a lot of versions of partnerships as we've grown our, our network. So whether that's like a sh sort of str traditional share of profit deal or um, something a little more flexible, uh, you know, clearly our, our international model for growth is going to be really franchise based. Um, and we are, I think, exploring a lot of different options in terms of what that might look like within the U.S. It gets a little tricky if you start to mix the two within a specific market. But I think especially as we're looking to try to expand into the smaller markets, there's a lot more opportunity there for us to do a better job of partnering with, with landlords and figuring out how to really truly be that partner that they need. Okay. Um, so just uh, uh, talk a little bit about the employee experience. So um, at U.S. Bank, we had a, a long-standing relationship with Regis. We signed a deal with WeWork, kind of a global services agreement, if you will. Um, and a lot of that's employee-driven, right? Um, they're mobile, but they want some place to touch down. Um, do you have any kind of metrics, feedback from the clients as to how this might help with the most important thing from our employee survey, which was employee engagement? Right, employee engagement, and along with that are the whole concept of wellness and those yeah. kinds of things. So can you just kind of opine if appropriate to um, how that fits with your strategy? And Lindsay, I know we talked about that last night. Yeah. Mallory? I'll let Mallory take it because she was on a panel last night. Yeah. Yes, she was. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, yeah, we, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> we had a panel last night with Forbes and Equinox just about health and wellness in the workplace. Um, and I think that one of the big things that we talked about is 
if you're going to have any sort of wellness or, you know, be a priority, it has to come from the top down. And I think more and more and more, which, you know, it's like that whole, it's, it's like the catch-22 of unfortunately we spend the majority of our lives at work. And if you're going to do that, like what can we be offering our, our employees and our members to make sure that they're taking care of themselves? And if, you know, it's not coming from the CEOs, if it's not coming from the top, it's not going to get done. So um, at Industrious in general, like from where we start, you know, our CEO and president are super, you know, hyper-focused on culture from the top down, making sure we're taking care of ourselves. You know, we do these walking one-on-ones outside and just little things. And so because it's important to us, we want to make sure that people are taking care of themselves in our space as well. So um, I think all of us have some sort of, you know, we, we have all different types of offerings. Um, and I think, what was the question, the core of the question. <laughs> I'm, I'm Are you doing something wellness? to, to, to consciously yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, affect <laughs> yeah, yeah. wellness and employee engagement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the, kind of at the heart of that question is, if I put my employees in one of yes. your centers, yes. uh, do I lose touch with them? Do they feel Got engaged it. with my company? And along with Got that, it. perhaps, is can they individually brand? And, and what do you do to help Got them it. with branding mm-hmm. for the recruiting efforts, that kind of thing? You just kind yeah. of roll that into the yeah. So without like monopolizing the conversation, I think we try, we say we're trying to provide, you know, one of the most productive workplaces and doing the things that you might not be able to do yourself. So, you know, fueling your team with the coffee and the breakfast in the morning and the afternoon snacks, keeping them, giving them a place to go, get up, walk around the space, grab something and have the opportunity to talk to someone else outside of their company. I mean, someone here mentioned this. It's like if you change your environment for two seconds, you know, you might have like a new fresh idea. So I think like, you know, industrious, I think we do it really well, but I think we all have that to offer. And I think that's the premium of, you know, that you're paying for when you go to a flexible office space. I would say like happiness, if you're happy, you're probably going to be productive. If you're going in and you have to work in gray offices, you're probably not going to be that productive. You just aren't, right? And so I'll, I'll just say from personal experience, like I love coming to work every day. I've been... Uh, in 12 WeWorks in the last week, okay? Every single WeWork makes me smile because I open I open the door. It's great design. There's natural light. And guess what? There's a whole community team there that's happy to be there and excited and wants to ta- uh, cater every need. And by the way, I was in Dallas. They had emergency. So health and wellness, like they care about us, right? They care about our flow. But they're thinking about every every need and their connection with our members is what makes members stay, whether they're an entrepreneur or a Fortune 500 company. Happier people equal more productive people, period. At the end of the day, it really comes down to people productivity. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what the flexible office is trying to provide. I mean, when you again, when you look at the premium and what's included versus what you'd have to build out in a traditional office lease, and there's definitely time and place for both, um, it comes down to people productivity. So I, I always go back to um, the first time I went to go visit my brother at work a couple years ago. He works in the Pentagon. And I was struck by the fact that you walk in the front door and there is on your left a jewelry shop and on your right a flower shop. People at the Pentagon work really late hours <laughs> and they're not super good at going home to their wives or significant others. Um, and so the Pentagon has very smartly curated two vendors to keep happy husbands, right? Um, and so while on a very different scale, convenes constantly looking at doing the same thing. So whether it's a partnership with the landlord to help bring the fitness center community class schedule up in front and center in front of tenants, 
um, or whether it's pulling Eden Health, which is a primary care provider, right into the flexible office space so that you can actually go to the doctor without having to take a day off, um, or, or the exploration that we're doing right now with childcare, um, or you know having the ability to order a fresh curated meal from our kitchen and have it hand delivered up into your space with addition the free coffee and the nourish snacks and, and all the offerings that are right there on um, the tap barn and the fridge. I, like all of those things just make people more productive, which allows you to add value to your organization. And if you're adding value, chances are you're really happy. Um, and, and we want to keep that cycle going. It was a little easier at Corporate Cell when WeWork stopped offering beer. You know, so change the whole wellness program. We, we still have beer. <laughs> <laughs> and bars. So come on over. <laughs> yeah, so you know, just one, one quick thing on that, that it's a little bit of a different twist on it, but I think still plays in. So when you kind of think about companies that maybe are trying to attract a different workplace, workforce, and maybe they historically have been based in the suburbs, but they are wanting to attract new talent, mm -hmm. then you know, there's a lot less tolerance for commute and jumping in your car and driving to work with the, with the next generation of workers, right? And so um, I think all of us provide a really good option in between sort of that standard, here's where the headquarters are, and the rest of you can work remotely from home, but wanting to be part of a network and community, but not wanting to have to commute an hour each way to do it. So I think that plays into a big piece of it in terms of A, that the environment is huge, but also, if you're talking about, okay, I went from wasting an hour of my day in the morning and an hour of my day in the evening getting back and forth to work, you're unlocking a lot of productivity and happiness in the employees that way as well. Okay. Well, before we take questions, um, maybe we just go uh, just really quickly down the row. Uh, what are some of the key takeaways that you'd like the audience, or particularly the corporate users present in the audience, uh, or those that are advising them? What are the key takeaways from our discussion, from your industry, the message that you guys are trying to share with them? Uh, and then we'll open up for questions. We'll have about 10 minutes. I guess, so, so from my perspective, I mean, I think the key takeaway is um, we've been in this industry for a really long time. Uh, we've got a tremendous international network. Uh, we also have a very strong network even within Chicago and the metro area. So, you know, 50 locations. Um, puts us in a position to usually have a pretty good option for almost any company in terms of what they're looking for geographically. Uh, and then as we add our new brands, which sort of cater to different markets, uh, we're going to continue to offer those different segments as well. So um, we don't want to say that we're sort of trying to be everything to everyone, but we do offer a lot of options within the network. Uh, and that's something that I think is a, a real key differentiator for us at IWG. I've learned we've got a lot of good salespeople, and it's great, <laughs> fantastic. Um, so I would, I would just say, um, I think from a corporate occupier perspective, you know, the landscape, as you mentioned with the stats, it's becoming more and more diverse. There are a lot of different options out there, but I really think flexible space can be a competitive advantage, right? From employee productivity to managing your real estate expenses and thinking about flexibility overall. Um, I would say mo most corporate occupiers that we're speaking to are, are thinking about it. And I guess I would just say, if you're thinking about it but not sure what to take the next step, try them out. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the different uh, providers out there will allow you the opportunity to go in and test a location, 
we always like, we did, the, uh, we did this big pilot for uh, Microsoft where we allowed them to actually utilize our global access and collect a lot of data and then determine which locations they wanted to be in. We all have the ability to collect a lot of data and information, but go and test them out. Anyone is welcome to host an event or come to a WeWork, uh, but more importantly, um, hoping that incorporating flexible space into your portfolio will help uh, your uh, business performance. I think flexible space is, is, as you started off the, the panel, I mean, just seeing the growth potential that's there and just the various, um, you know, products that are available, I think it's always great for a company to have that, not necessarily need to sign on for something that's long term and have that flexibility where if you're starting off small, start off small and then grow with your organization through FlexSpace. Or if you're a large company, um, you know, our HANA is able to really work with enterprise companies to customize the needs of your space as well. So it's not just a cookie cutter uh, type of office environment. It's very much catered to what you need for your organization. Um, and so bringing all of that together, I think, is definitely a, an, an added advantage for any organization who's looking to look for a flexible office space. Yeah, quick answer, because I feel like I'm I think the biggest thing is I want, like, I'm always telling people, you know, I don't want to be like, industrious is the best. I mean, I, I love our company, but I'm always telling people you, you just have to go see them all. Like, just go do your research. There's just like every other industry, you know, when you're buying a car, it's the same thing. You just got to try them all out. Aesthetically, geographically, there's something for everyone. So just do the, do the research if you can. Lindsay, something to add? Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> come, come by for a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about questions from the audience? Hi, thanks uh, to the entire panel for your thoughts. I would, um, I'd like to build on something started with around enterprise flexibility. And I think all of you talked about uh, the, the value at the enterprise level uh, that uh, your offerings and others uh, can support them with. And so I'm curious if you can, whether you want to call it a crystal ball or not, imagine a day where at the enterprise level, to support that flexibility and productivity and performance and satisfaction, all the things you talked about, uh, organizations say to companies, or say to individuals who work for them, hey, if it costs me $1,000 to provide you a seat, how about I give you 800 and you go out and you pick a seat, whether it's close to where you live or otherwise, that supports you best. And I saved 20% in the process. What, what reaction would you have to that? Do you think that there's a future that we might be looking to uh, towards that? I'm happy to say I worked for one of those companies, and I did that. <laughs> um, and, and I again, I think there's something for everyone, right? There, personally, I didn't like working from home. I didn't like working from the coffee shop. Um, I felt like it was loud. There was never a place where you could go and have a professional moment when you needed to. Um, and now, weirdly, if you're looking for me and I'm in Chicago, I'm probably sitting at the coffee shop at 311 West Monroe. But I know that I've got the flexibility to go upstairs and pop into a phone booth or go and book one of our um, collective boardrooms or go into a huddle space for just a couple of people. And so, you know, for, for again, for 250 bucks a month, you can get a membership to a lot of our locations where you can pop in and out at your own leisure. Um, 
And I think, again, from, you know, we touched a little bit on it from a branding perspective. Everybody has a really solid foundational offering so that you can walk into one of these spaces and it feels homely and it feels cozy and you, you could feel like you could kind of stay there all day. Um, and or if you then decide you and all of your friends want to work from that location, you can increase your space and put a logo on the door um, so it feels like your office. The companies will do that. They should do that. And I think we'll see a range of people who adopt that model and we'll see a range of people who are always going to want to be in a traditional lease for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. So it's just about having, having both, understanding both, so that you can, again, solve the right problem with the right solution. Yeah, so at U.S. Bank, for example, we were trying to get to a total cost of occupancy kind of a, a thought process. And so it wasn't just the square footage that was getting charged back to the unit, the business unit. It was kind of the sum total of the furniture and the space and the services mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And when you do that, you get to a number that makes this kind of offering pretty affordable, mm -hmm. particularly if you add in, you know, the inability to plan and leaving spaces early and subleasing and all that sort of stuff. That just cream on the crop. Mm -hmm. any, any other thoughts or response? The other thing I would add is we're seeing, even to take your, your point a step further, we're seeing people that are interviewing for jobs or considering working for a company, touring our space and using that as part of, okay, well, if, if you're able to get me a window office at whatever one of our locations that's near home and pay for it, that's something that I would consider as a strong advantage towards taking this particular job offer. So it's, it's even getting to that next level where people are using that to sort of shop and, and a benefit that they're sort of demanding uh, before they take an offer for, to work for an organization. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just add one more thing because Adam's my buddy. Um, we, uh, I, think that may, I think that makes sense for salespeople. I honestly do. And I think having a more transient workforce where they're coming and going but I do also see a lot of our larger companies that are coming to work at WeWork, they want to create their own culture and connective tissue within each other. So if everyone is just free to go out, they're missing something. Um, and I think that's the, that's the beauty of a lot of these enterprise offerings is like, how do you take the special sauce? But at the end of the day, like if you're in a position where you're going to rely on of uh, information flow to get from point A to point C, and it needs to happen really fast, and you're quickly coming up with a new product or an idea, you really need to be together, and hopefully you're in an environment that that's, you know, handles all the other stuff so you can focus on your job. But I don't see that, per, my personal opinion is I don't think that works for every single job function. Other question? Oh, run! <laughs> we do record this, that you can pick it up on the uh, on the website later. So it's why we're doing the uh, microphone dance here. Yeah, the dance is fine. Um, so one thing that's interesting as a um, a person on, as an end user. So there's so much conversation these days around occupancy and how many people are coming to work and how are they using the space and how are we doing this and how are we doing that. So data is like the whole new monetary metric that everybody talks about. Um, and when you're building your real estate portfolio and you're thinking about where am I going to expand, where am I going to go, what am I doing, obviously your talent strategy as well as your portfolio strategy have to match. What analytics are you guys developing that you can give back to your clients to let them know this is what your occupancy looks like? This is how much is being used. This is how much is not being used. These locations or these portfolios are getting used more than these other ones. Like how, as an end user, 
how can I know that my value that you present to me in my sales pitch that I'm like, yeah, okay, that's great, is actually what I'm getting a return on investment on? Yeah. Jeff, you want to take? Sure. So um, almost all of our, call it the last 200 locations that we've built, uh, we've incorporated a Salto lock system where we can actually track who's coming in and out of the office uh, and provide that information back to the, to the organization if they're interested in it. So, um, you know, they can figure out, okay, I've got 16 members that are supposedly using this office. How often are they actually coming? Uh, and that's, you know, that's very helpful as you talk about kind of long-term strategy because the reality is you might only need three desks, right, because they're very, very rarely there at the same time. And if they are, maybe they could use a community meeting room or a boardroom for a meeting that way. So I think it's something that, that we're just getting into. Um, and not a lot of companies are actually asking for that data yet um, because I don't know that they necessarily are understanding how they might use it. It's, it's, but I think it's something that will become more and more important as we go. I think it's, it's fair to say that each of you could provide a client with how many locations you have and how many desks they're leasing around the world or wherever, oh, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, it's at 1.30, and it's time to let you all go if you want. The panel will be staying here to, to answer your questions. Please step up and say hi, and uh, please help me thank them. <laughs>